Hi, I'm Libby Tozer and welcome to the She Is Seen podcast. Today I'm recording on Rum and Jerry land and I'm chatting to Desiree, who is a beautiful woman who I connected. We were just talking before this, who I connected with, we think, at an SA Woman event and then over social media. And I'm really excited to share some of the work that Desiree does and introduce her to this community because I think she's got a lot, a really interesting story and a lot to offer. She is seen. So the She is Seen podcast is all about sharing stories and shifting shame. And I think that's actually fits in quite well with what you do, Desiree, too, because it's a bit of an unspoken taboo area in some ways or, or one that people don't know how to step into and talk into. So yes. Hi. Hi, everyone. And thanks, Libby, for having me on this podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you mentioning shifting shame. I think there are two things. First of all, let me talk about me. I was brought up in a very Catholic way. And while I've spent all my life trying to be as un-Catholic as possible, while being Catholic as well, and I've done probably most things like a good little Catholic girl should never have done, (laughs) taking part in the in the She's Seen Festival and the photo shoot was another way for me to shift my shame because, you know, going into, you know, past mid-50s, which I am quite past, you know, my body has changed quite a bit. And I I was saying to my hubby the other day that it was a big step for me to actually accept my body the way it is. And while when you're wearing clothes, it's easier to to hide bits and pieces. And I'm thinking, why do I want to hide any bits and pieces? By by being part of that photo shoot that put me out of my comfort zone, but also got me to accept myself quite a bit, you know, in my skin, you know, or as we say in England, in my birthday suit as such. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So it really did help me to move into that, you know, so it doesn't matter how much what we do in our lives. And I'm a coach uh, and I'm all about uh, putting away inhibitions and and being empowered by what you do, who you are. But we all have something that we are uncomfortable with in ourselves, in our bodies, in our feelings, in our emotions. And it's just so important to to face them. And no, it's uncomfortable. And but look, I had a lot of fun shifting that for me, for that shame. And it was fun doing it. And and to be honest, I realized that being in my underwear was no different to being in a bikini. Um, yes. <laughs> it was more overwhelming for the people of Victor Harbour when they saw a whole bunch of us. Actually, they were more <laughs> frightened of us than us frightened of what they thought of us. So it's, it was just pretty amazing. So it, it said a lot. I certainly lying down in the, you know, in the shape of the whale thought to myself, Oh my God, it's like I'm part of a whale, you know, the biggest mother of mm. all and the biggest feeling of nature, of nurture in the whole thing. So I was embodying that and I was, it, it shifted a whole bunch of things for me about who I am and pride in, in, in my body and in to, to, to reduce that shame and to, if not completely obliterate it. But my, when I think of shame as well, it's from my business in itself, which is to, I help and support women as a coach who are going through separation and divorce to holistically rebuild their lives and and make their own money by getting a job. And many of these women, I wrote quite a, a blog about that, about uh, the things that you learn 
when you're going through divorce or separation. And one of those things is shame because mm-hmm. while it seems like every other person gets divorced and it's, it's something that you can just talk about and it's out there in the open. Yet many women are ashamed that they got divorced. There is a sense of shame there. And I don't know where it comes from, how it got into us, who got it there, but it is there. And that's, 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 that shame. And, and, and it's an uncomfortable topic to, to, to deal with for sure. It's, it is a very uncomfortable topic to deal with for, for women when they talk about their separation, their divorce, whether it's shame of failure, shame of uh, not having made it work or shame of somebody leaving them, whatever the reasons the shame is attached to separation mm. and divorce. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, and it's a, a major divorce or major, you know, long-term relationship breakup is like a, a, I don't know, I think a shattering of of illusions that we've, I think as children and even I guess as, as the Catholic, I wasn't brought up Catholic, but I did have a religious background and I wonder how much of that contributes to, <laughs> contributes to the shame as well because we've, We've brought up with a, like a vision or a, almost like a roadmap of how your life's meant to look and you, you know, you're meant to get married and build a life and, and. Live happy ever after? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So then it's like, oh, what, what happened there? <laughs> and there's so many layers of unpacking around that. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, and you know what? From, from my, from a very, very young age, I have known that I will not be wearing that big white dress. I did not want to look like the princess. I, I have known this all my life. It, not that it doesn't mean I did not believe in marriage. It, I just always felt it inside me. And I always looked at the idea of wearing that big dress. You know, and having all this attention on me on that one day and all that stuff. I've never felt comfortable in that looking at that vision. So I'm one of the few people who'd never dreamed of being married and wearing the big princess dress. But I can tell you why I think that is. When I was quite young, I used to, being a good Catholic girl, participate in knitting circles, sewing circles, Mm -hmm. some circles of other, which was part of the Catholic Church. And I was a child and I was supposed to be learning embroidery, knitting and sewing and all that stuff. But I remember, you know, as young girls listening to the older women speak, and they were all obviously older when you're a child. And I used to listen to them speak and they'd, you know, they'd be gossiping about Mrs. This and Miss That and et cetera, and who did what to him. And they'd talk, they'd be talking about obviously other women in the community. And when they talked about a marriage that had gone sour, or, you know, that, you know, that was going on between a couple. When they talked about divorce and, and, or, you know, domestic violence that was happening in a home and stuff, there were two, a few things that I picked up. One is that there was this feeling of acceptance that, you know, she made her bed and she has to lie in it and that's how it is. Not that they were talking about faults at the time, but more or less that we, we were as women defenseless, helpless, right? There was that feeling and then Mm -hmm. there was a sense of pity and then there was a sense of judgment. And as a child, I I didn't have the language to describe it. It's hard. 
I, I couldn't understand what they were saying and how they were saying it, but I remember the emotions that were behind it. I remember the pity. I remember the tut, tut, tut and the eyes going up and the head shaking, the pity. And, and if you imagine that small circle creating such a, a vibe around <laughs> Couples having a domestic and a marriage not quite succeeding and a marriage yes. failing and divorce. That kind of imprints in a way on, on a young girl. And I was, well, nine, ten years old. Yes. And all we had was listening to gossip and what other women said, because that's where we get in a way our apprenticeship as young women, et cetera. And as we grow and this is what I picked up and. That's where I think my shame came. That's where I think my disillusionment of mm. marriage in the white dress. And it wasn't quite, obviously, I didn't realize what I was hearing and what changes that was doing to me. But I do know that that had a profound effect on me and how I looked at marriage, how I looked at relationships and how I looked at women and how they're whether they were empowered or not and the fact that these women had to just basically say well that's that's our lot kind of thing and it was yeah I think it came from that you know the turning points in our lives and I think from that perspective that too was a bit of a turning point for me but I didn't quite realize it then that's where the shame came from certainly for me when I saw heard these women speaking about a breakup or a broken marriage in one way or another, whether they stayed together or not. Yes. Uh, you know, it was a broken marriage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I think for me, when you're saying that as well, the women wounding, we, we can really wound each other with our, I think it's a big thing. And in the, even in the body image stuff with what I do, I think some of the, some of the most hurtful comments I've had from, other people have actually been women that are through my life. And I think it's a, yeah, I don't, we, I think we just need to be careful with our words and, we, and with like, and with little ears, I think, also think, Oh, my, my daughter is about that age that you're, you were just talking about. And it's like, I was just thinking while you're saying that, Oh my goodness, I need to be so much, so careful about the things I'm, the conversations we're exposing young ears to yes and and look you have to remember that we also want to when i say breed resilience we want to encourage resilience because you want to send your son or your daughter with an education where especially your daughters but sons have to understand have to learn to use the right language too because they are also they can perpetuate something negative just like they can empower women as well uh, oh, definitely. Them. We all can. Yes. Uh, you know, so uh, it's for girls as much as boys to hear that. But I think preparing the children and letting them hear that and knowing that it's not the right thing to do, the right thing to say, yet it happens. Uh, building resilience is very important as well. We can't we can't protect them from everything. I can I mean, I can tell you that my own mum, she you know, my whole family, are you know, a bunch of black women who are quite big bosomed, big butted, curvy uh, in every way. And there's maybe only two of us who are a little bit smaller in the family as women. Mm -hmm. Yet it's the very women who are more curvy, who are permanently picking on the smaller ones saying, 
pick and I got picked on and my cousin gets picked on all the time. The second we put on weight, you know, why'd you oh. get so why'd you get so fat? You know, and I'm thinking, well, what does it matter? We're all a family of very rounded people. But you know, this it's you know, when I think that, it's very weird because I say, well, you're really worried about, you know, <laughs> I, our people are very, you know, we're from African cultures, so we're all naturally very curvy. And I said, look, you know, I'm the anomaly here, you know, me and my cousin are the anomaly in our family because we're small. Yes. You know? But, you know, it's almost when you're talking about women hurting each other, especially about body image, it's almost as if. They're finally saying, finally, you are put on weight in a strange kind of way. There's yes. pleasure in saying that. Yes, of and course. I said that to my mom. I said, why do you, why do you say it like that? What does it matter? I mean, I said, and I said, look at the family. Look at you. Look at the aunties. You look at the cousins. <laughs> You're pretty round and curvy with big tits. I want big tits. I'll never have big tits unless I have it put in. You know, sorry if I had <laughs> tits, but you know. Because we talk like that at home, but uh, you know, it's and I think to myself, why are why are women not being more supportive, and why is why do you have to say anything about my body? You know, it takes me where I want to go. It's healthy. It keeps me fit. It gets me from A to B, and I'm happy in it. Why why are you saying that? But it's 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 weird when sometimes when you look at the dynamics. It is very strange, which is why, you know, when we did the photo shoot and all of us in our underwear, it was so liberating to be dancing, mm-hmm. uh, to be dancing, to be celebrating womanhood. And I was so and I'm always so happy to see women who are much younger join in the party, you know. Yes. To see that, well, they will be the future who will hopefully encourage that. As well. Yes. And, and hopefully that's what we're doing and creating a shift. And I think I'm just thinking with you saying that as well. And I have reflected on that with older generations and the, the programming now, like kids and us all the time on so all of us on social, if we're using social media are constantly bombarded with filtered images and images of what people are meant to look like. But there's also, I know we end up in our own echo chambers on social media, but so on mine, obviously I'm following a lot of body image stuff, but I see there seems to be a good representation starting to come of different body shapes and sizes. And even the ancestral stuff is really interesting. And I, I actually like to look back and go, Oh, well, what would, what was a, you know, what were our, our ancestors figures like? And how does this, how do we fit into that skate landscape? Like you're saying as well, like I've thought thought about that myself with, oh, is this a, what did my ancestors look like physically? Mm. You know, the body shapes and it's interesting, but I think just the, just the older generation, I think they had a, they had the body image stuff really like, and it's been for quite a long time. Women told or all of us told what bodies are meant to look like. And that we don't fit into what we're meant to look like because it's, I think, an element of control in it. Yeah, which I'm guessing yeah. some weird way. But there's, you know, there's a few things to that. I mean, when you think about like Michelangelo and all these Italian painters, if you look at the figures of their, the people they painted, none of them are thin. They all have very round bellies, you know, very full bellied women, 
you know, they they weren't, you know, those uh, skinny as you know, very skinny kind of model shapes. So the the curvaceousness of of a feminine shape was always something that that has been admired throughout the ages, even from a very long time ago. So that feminine shape, I think perhaps it's a man thing that started to epitomize the ideal shape of a woman. And it's always men who start the crappy thing. And then suddenly (laughs) we feel that we need to be the, you know, idealized figure so that a man would find us attractive. There's that perhaps, I I don't know, but as far as I know, look, yeah, our descendants. Are we from uh, from Africa? Are we? Where are we from? But you know, if yeah. you look at the curves of African women, they're extremely curvy, uh, yes. or very long, and you have the the beauty in both. So, I mean, this kind of reminds me of something I saw when I was about fifteen. Yeah, I went to on holiday. I was, you know, from England. We went to south of France on holiday, and you know, there's nothing like the south of France because everybody bathes topless obviously there and I used to sunbathe topless as well, et cetera, et cetera, but only in the south of France because that's the most accepted places despite having a whole bunch of weirdos ogling you, which it was a public <laughs> but anyway, you get past that somehow. But I remember my the very first time I went on a nudist beach or a public beach where there was topless bathing, it was with my grandparents and I remember seeing this lady I couldn't tell you her age. She may, she looked like she was 102, at least in my 15-year-old eyes. Anybody who <laughs> yeah. was old was like over 100, clearly. But <laughs> the reason I say that is because she was had so many wrinkles, probably from sun being in the sun too long, and you know she yes skin had totally uh, given up, so it was hard to tell her age. But she was completely naked. All right, she was so completely naked on the beach, sunbathing. But she was very, 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 uh, she was old, perhaps in her seventies, perhaps eighties, doesn't matter. And I thought to myself, Oh my God, would you, you know, what would I do if my grandmother was going to lie there topless like this? <laughs> and then my granddad was, was hurling abuse saying, what well, why is a woman like this, you know, lying on the beach, you know, and then, you know, he wasn't saying very nice things. And I, and I just thought, oh, top people can be bathe topless no matter what. So for me at my age, it was just more about how wrinkly she was more than the fact that she was topless. But then later on, I kept recalling that incident and what happened there. And I thought to myself, imagine this lady in her time, probably when she was my age, wearing a bikini was something that she would never have been allowed to do. Yeah. So why is it that in her lifetime, if topless bathing is then allowed. Why would she not get her kit off and be there? She doesn't have to care if you like her body or not. What she needs to do is live her life without regrets. And if this is something she wants to tick because she's never had a, an opportunity to do it when she was our age and she had a, the whatever people, you know, the body everybody might want to go at, mm. well, at least she did it her way and she achieved something that and you know when she leaves this world, she can say, "Well, look, I couldn't sunbathe topless when I was or naked when I was 15, but at least I got to do it at 70 or whatever age she was." But yes. I thought to myself, "How lucky was she that she managed to accomplish that in her lifetime?" And you know, it my perception of emancipation, of evolution, and women 
uh, and being empowered totally changed. And, you know, it, it got me to realize why I'm, I'm fighting for women now and why yeah. my role is all about making sure women don't miss out. They don't end up in the back seat being told, being pointed at or anything like that. And then, you know, that they're looked up to, you know, and that we set that example. And it's, it's, it's almost like not quite a quest, but it's my, it's my biggest passion to make sure that women w- feel that whatever it is they do, that they've affected somebody's life in a positive way, that they've changed someone, they've moved someone. And when I think of these women, like that old lady on the mm. beach, I think to myself, she did something to me that day. I may not have realized it then, but she made me realize that if you don't live your life to the fullest, then what was the purpose of your life? You know? Yes. How powerful. What a, it's such a, such a powerful, beautiful story. And that's so powerful in that even our micro actions can have such a positive flow on effect. Indeed. Like she would, ha- she would have no idea that all these years later, you would still be reflecting on it and taking your own source of, I get like, even permission and power and, also, I think like so, so good, like her showing an older body on the beach like that, because that those are the images that we're really not exposed to still. And there's so much beauty in in an aging body, too, where youth is so, so prized in our society. But I think there's so much beauty in aging bodies, too, that we just hopefully we will delve more into that. But. Yeah, I think that's just beautiful and such a, yeah, to create powerful change. We only just need to live authentically, really. And exactly, exactly. And, and every time I tell her story, she's living through me. So yeah, such an impact on me. And I, I can tell you, even right now, I can remember what I was wearing where I was exactly when I saw her lying on that beach and how surprised I was but how fascinated I was and and I do remember thinking I hope I have the nerve to do this when I'm her age and I look like (laughs) her you know it's true because at 15 I was just an adolescent uncomfortable in my skin uncomfortable in everything I did and 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 saw and everything and there she was in at her age lying there everything out and not a care in the world. Do you know what that does to a 15-year-old? Yeah. It's something else, you know. She had absolutely zero inhibitions, and I was inhibition 100%. You you think that when you're young, you've got it made. Forget about it. She had it made, not me, but it takes this maturity and this eye-opener to really realize what, what we're missing out on if we just don't live, you know in our, you know, as authentic beings, especially as women, because we are so powerful. We're so powerful just by doing our thing. We don't need to impress anyone, be louder, be higher, be taller, be thinner, be bigger, be anything. We just need to be and be authentic. And we will influence one life at least, at least. Yeah. You know. And you don't even have to say anything to anybody. You just have to be. You know, yes, that's pretty important. Yes, 
I love that. I think, I think I've, I'm, now I'm like, oh, now I'm full of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into what you're, what you're doing? Cause I, you've got a PhD, don't you? Do you? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, you, you must have the most amazing life story. But I can tell you my PhD is nothing to do with what I do now. That's Um, even better. Yeah. Look, my life was in disaster management before that in project management and all the stuff that comes. Oh, wow. I've had a big life in the travel and tourism uh, world. So, you know, my background is quite eclectic professionally and I do what I do now because I started working since I was 13 years old doing paper rounds and things like that. My mom raised three kids by herself by the second divorce. Um, she had a little baby and two girls going, you know, into adolescence. And I wanted a lot of life, but I knew my mom couldn't give it to me. So I thought, well, I can do it myself. Get a job. If you want things, you need to be willing to go out and get it. So I, I, I worked. And so that I would be able to afford myself my luxuries, you know, and mom did, you know, she was a professional. She was a nurse, you know, so I've spent my life studying, working, studying, working. And my guiding light, if you will, or my guiding principle has always been to never have to ask anyone for money. Never have to ask. Wow. Anyone for money. That's that's it. And that is probably the one thing that I want for my women to, who, who come to me if they want help is so that I, I don't, I, I didn't go to my mom for money because she had to go to somebody else for money because she was raising three kids and neither husbands were around and neither of them were necessarily my father and my uh, sister's father. They didn't pay anything for, for us. So mom couldn't even ask them. And when she did, well, she knew she wouldn't get anything. They never contributed. And it was always a fight for my brother's dad. So it was always this thing. And I, the thought of going to a bloke and asking for money. And sometimes women stay in relationships because of money, bad relationships, bad relationships. So, and for me, it's about, it doesn't matter what job you do as long as you're making your own money. And, you know, I've been divorced. And yes, I have today, I have a a doctorate, but it wasn't always like this. I have also had to, to, to make sure that my daughter has food on the table and goes to school and I can have petrol in the car. I have cleaned people's houses too. I have cleaned toilets. I, I did what I had to do to make my own money. So I didn't have to go to anyone or end up with someone just so that he can look after me. So Yes, it's true that I do have that now, uh, a good qualification that can take me wherever I want to go. But I wasn't always in that place. And like I said, I would like to encourage women to push themselves and not look left, not look right. Do what's right for them mm. so they have their own money, so they make their own money. And they never have to they never have to feel they need to stay somewhere because they have to, because otherwise they can't have the money to feed themselves or their children or put mon- uh, food on the table or a roof over their heads. That's what I'm about. So Amazing. I, yeah. that, thank you for sharing that. That is not at all where I thought that question would go, but I'm really, <laughs> that, I'm really glad I asked. <laughs> 
you know, no, no matter how hard you work in life, I think as women, we forget to own it, to own our experience, to own ourselves yes. as the, the, the power who we are, not whether you have a doctorate or not, whether you, whatever it is you've got, to own it and say, I am this. Yes. I've done this because you can bet your bottom dollar. Any bloke who has a third of what we've got will basically use this to the maximum and embellish. But we don't even use what we've got, let alone embellish what we have got, you know. And I, I know that as women, we're not, you know, it's very hard to, for us to propel ourselves in the front line. And I think we need to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of the guilty parties to do that. And I'm getting better at propelling myself forward, uh, not in people's faces, but in my own right as who I am. It's an evolution, you know, it's an evolution yes. that we, we live and learn. Definitely. And it's all, everything's a, you know, a learning experience and a journey. And I know that's a corny one, but the, yeah, I know for myself, we're, we're just constantly learning and we only, we only know what we know in the moment and then we can learn more and then we can do better with what, with what we've got. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. So otherwise, if someone is interested in connecting with you, do you, how would they work with you and how would they get in contact with you? Well, first of all, I do have a website. I'm on, I'm on Facebook under Desiree B. Carey or Desiree B. Carey Coaching. Um, if you're interested in working with me, then I do offer a 30 minute consultation, which is free. And then we can see what is your challenge and what outcomes you want to meet. Send me a direct message on, on Facebook and I'll send you a link to, so that we can speak together and assess where, how, whether we can work together or not. Otherwise I am on Instagram. Look, or through you, Libby, you know, someone really says, I've heard of you, uh, about this Desiree, this person who does, who looks after women who, uh, is going through separation and divorce, wants to re- help them rebuild, help them get a job, get the financially independent. You can, they can speak to you and I know you will know who they're talking about. So different ways of getting in touch, but I'm here and I'm waiting for their call. So don't hesitate. Don't be afraid. It doesn't cost anything to speak to me, but come forward. Don't wallow in self-pity. Don't be afraid to come forward. It it doesn't get better to sit in a hole by yourself. Mm. Um, use the support of and most important, most importantly for the women who want to speak with me. I think even if they're not sure, I'm addressing the woman who's in that place, who's in this overwhelm or who is in this stress, this pain of loss of that relationship of you know not sure where to go and having all these questions asked of her uh, from her all these expectations Mm. and while she's dealing with all of this I'll say reach out to someone anyone grab somebody's hand and say look I need a hug I need a shoulder to cry on I need help I need support where can I get it can you just be there for me just reach out don't stay alone it's no point. Just reach out to, to the women in the circle um, who no, I can say for sure that no woman, no matter whether they like you or not, they're your best mate or not, whoever it is, no woman will ever turn you down when you reach out and say, I really need help. Can you help me? 
it's not in our nature as hum- human beings. It's, we are humane. And if you yes. reach out and say, I'm in trouble, I really need some help to refocus. Anyone, even a stranger in the street, if you reach out to them, they'll give you the hug you need right there and then. So all I'm saying to the, to the lady who, who might be suffering right now, uh, in that position, or you don't need to be suffering, but you might just be in chaos, um, yeah. another type of suffering. Just reach out and get help. Reach out for that hug, for that supportive hug and start there to start with and then speak to me if you want (laughs) (laughs) and i'll put all your all the ways to contact you in the show notes of this podcast and and everywhere as well so people will be able to find you so thank you so much for chatting to me today been fantastic yes and thank you everyone for listening thanks libby for the opportunity it's really it's been an honor thanks for listening to she has seen the podcast I would love it if you could subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating or review to help us grow this wonderful community, which you're welcome to join and be part of in whatever way works for you. You can connect with us more on the socials or online at She Has Seen Movement. We would love to hear from you. So reach out, get involved and help us shift shame by sharing stories. Thank you for being here and showing up. This is your weekly reminder that you are enough exactly as you are in this moment. And actually, you're kind of amazing. So thank you. And we'll talk to you soon.